Aloha, thank you for pressing play. Welcome to the Eating Curve Balls for Breakfast podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Mahoy, and your biggest fan when it comes to hitting those curveballs that life, sports, or parenting can throw you right out of the park. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the show. All right. Hi, this is Stacey Mahoy. I'm here today with Jenny Topping, and she's joining us from California. Super excited to have her here today. We actually recently crossed paths on Facebook and um, there were some things that she put out that I was very interested in and caught my attention. So I had to look her up and kind of see what she was about, Um, is involved with gold medal training. And uh, we just kind of got together on Messenger and decided to do a little chat here for you. So Jenny, why don't you go ahead and tell us, I know that recently I saw on Facebook, um, you posted about workouts and that's something that I think a lot of former athletes or current athletes have in common is that we don't just practice during practice time, but there's other stuff that goes on. So um, I was wondering out of curiosity, what's your favorite either exercise or piece of equipment at the gym? Um, My favorite, if I were to use a machine would be um, the Airdyne bike. It's called an Airdyne bike. It's it's just got a wheel with your hands and, um, you can rope, you can ride for calories, uh, you can ride for time, but I mainly do a lot of short sprinting on it, like a 10 to 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off, get your heart rate through the roof. Um, yeah. It is very nice. And second to that, I love the barbell. Um, yeah. Power lifting, lifting, explosive movements, extremely important for, for athletes. Yeah. So, okay, so first of all, Airdyne is a tough thing to ride like that's not an easy like, I don't that one's rough so short yeah. sprints on there definitely get your heart rate going um as far as the barbell is concerned what's your favorite movement with that I love Anything the clean yeah. I love the clean and jerk um uh you know they're, they're, I love the snatch now that I'm um, no longer an athlete or throwing a ball anymore I don't have to worry about my shoulders as much mm. so I love um movements that sort of take a little more um, time to get good at. Um, the snatch yeah. was one that I'd never done as an athlete. So it was fun to try to learn to master that movement. I don't know if you ever mastered um, something like that yeah. without a lot of training, but explosive movements, um, power clean, clean and jerk, snatch, yeah. my favorites. Yeah, my friends, my friends tease me because they're like, Oh, I know if you did it, there's probably cleans in there. So it's one of my favorites too. (laughs) So that's cool. Anyway, for those people who may not know who you are, could you give us a little bit of your background, like how you got started in softball, where you grew up and your kind of history with the game? Yeah, I grew up in Southern California. Um, Something people don't know about me is that I'm a left-handed catcher. Um, I like to tell that story because I had people tell me my whole life that I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of got to fight against that my whole life. Um, so I played at uh, Washington to start in college and then transferred to Cal State Fullerton. I was a four, four-time All-American Olympic gold medalist on the 2004 team. I was fortunate to play in our USA Pro League for Akron Racers and won a professional title there as well as I played three seasons over in Japan. So um, I've only been uh, retired for about four years now. So I had a long history of playing. Um, I learned a lot of lessons um, and uh, yeah, I was fortunate to be given a gift and had the support to get there. For sure. Yeah, that's awesome. So when I got to college, um, the 
catcher that actually there were two catchers that came in, but one of them was from Colorado. She was also a lefty catcher. So oh, wow. um, I think that you guys have some advantages too that righty catchers don't have. So it is a little bit tougher in some situations, but in others, um, like that throw down to first is a lot easier, I think, and like for pickoffs. But I wanted to ask also about um, as far as now being retired, what's been the toughest thing about that transition from going from being an athlete for so long and playing the game to now doing, not being competitive anymore in it? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I tried not to make who I was as a softball player my identity, but I don't know how you avoid that. So yeah. uh, it's been an unraveling for the past four years or, 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 you know, unraveling sort of sounds negative, but it's been an understanding of, you know, my identity is not wrapped in who I was as an athlete. I'm much more than that. And so it's been an interesting journey to, um, to learn who I am outside of an athlete and to let go of some of the, um, the ego that I needed in order to get me to where I was. I mean, ultimately to play at the highest level, um, you have to have a large ego. Uh, you have to, you have to, um, be very focused on you and and focused on one mission and one goal and so i'd say there's a lot of experiences that i didn't didn't get to do and there were a lot of uh, things that i set aside in my life um because i was on this mission to to just be the best in what i was doing so it's it's been an interesting journey to learn myself and my identity and in, in in god and not necessarily my identity in an athlete so it's an interesting process it's a beautiful yeah. process <laughs> yeah i can imagine i i know i think a lot of athletes and even people who've maybe been competitive in the past and now are living you know a different part of their life a different season of life um Again, I'm discovering that there's a lot of things that were really helpful to me as an athlete that now uh, <laughs> it's kind of not the best approach to everything necessarily. Um, so it's been, yeah, I can imagine, I can only imagine what it's been like to go to the Olympics and do, you know, gold medals and win professional championships. And then now to go into different parts of life is definitely quite a transition. So the other question that I like to ask anyone who comes on the show, because it's called eating curveballs for breakfast, is um, about a curveball that you've been thrown and kind of like what your feelings or thoughts were about it and maybe what you've learned from that experience. Whether it's, it doesn't have to be a softball thing, it could be anything. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I've actually, you might be the first person to ever hear this out of my mouth, but I actually don't know how I feel about athleticism anymore. Mm. And I'll, I'll tell you this why is because it really creates division in the sense of you have to think you're better than someone else. Mm. And so my whole life, that's what I needed or I thought I needed in order to be successful is I had to think I was better than other people. And so it was, it was, you know, an inclusion of my teammates, but it was an exclusion of everyone else. And so now what I, what's happening is I'm, I'm, I'm coaching privately and in small groups. And what I'm seeing is um, that's not necessarily what I want to promote in life. Um, and so I'm having a bit of this internal conflict of how do I teach the game that I love within 
uh, within athleticism that teaches you that you have to think you're better than others. And so um, it's a journey that I don't have the answer to yet, um, but I'm definitely one of my hums or my passion projects right now is to get coaches to realize or they coaching through their ego or they coaching um, to create beautiful humans. And that's kind of um, my passion project at this point. Yeah, I love that so much because I've also felt like growing up, the entire childhood growing up, it's like I felt like competition or being competitive meant being better than other people, like trying to be better than other people. And recently I learned that the root word for compete actually means to strive together to where like myself and my opponent, we're actually working our butts off so that we can bring out the best in each other. And when I bring my best and they bring their best, we both actually get better. And then everyone, you know, it's better off because of it. And so I didn't even hear that until I became an adult. I'm like, why aren't we told this when we're we're a little younger? Because that's a totally different way of looking at it. And it still has that air of like, we're still coming and bringing the very best we have. But the idea of like striving together, even with your opponents, because we all raise each other up in that sense, because we're bringing out the best in one another is very different to me. And then I've read books and talked about like, you know, this idea of like, you're talking about competing with everyone else. The idea that like, if I'm winning, that means someone else has to lose. And in life, I just don't feel like that's like, we can both be successful. You and I, we can both have families. We can both have houses. You know, it's not like, because I have a family, you can't have one kind of thing. And, and when, and when you're in competition for so long and everyone's going for this one championship where there is only one winner, um, just, it's, it's very different thought processes. So Um, I've also been kind of thinking about that sort of thing in the past few years, too. So it's very interesting to hear that coming from you as well. And the other thing that I was interested in was your comments about safe sport and hopefully my connection. Okay. And uh, what you learned from their classes or their trainings and programs and you spoke about or encouraged other coaches to go through them. So what is it that you love so much about it? And what do you think other coaches can benefit from hearing what Safe Sport has to offer? Well, I think that um, Safe Sport is really getting to a, a root issue, I think, that is a little bit behind in athleticism. You know, I think what's happening is the old theory was that we, we need to, you know, verbally, and I think even in the past, physically abuse people in order to, uh, athletes in order to, get them to do what we want for them to be successful. And so what I mean by that is fear-based coaching versus motivation coaching, right? Um, Not to get too philosophical, but there are two different ways to motivate people. And there's probably more than that, but one is fear. So fear-based is if you're, if you do not do this, you know, I'm going to make sure that you run until you puke. Right. And so you put the fear into people and in, in, in my case, it's, it's young women, right? And so then they're being motivated by something that's very negative. And ultimately, what that does to them is that creates inside of them a sense of I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. Um, and, and then what you see them go on to do is, um, you know, some of them go on and have great successful lives. lives. For others, 
they continue to feel like they're not enough. They're not good enough. And so um, Safe Sport is really doing a good job of promoting the fact that we need to positively motivate our, our, women, our women, our boys to be successful and for, for them to know that they're, they're, they're not, their identity is not wrapped in, um, you know, how they do in the box. It's their, who they are is not connected to whether they strike out or not. You know, they're great and they're enough just the way they are and, and, um, through the positive coaching, um, they can succeed on the field and in life. And um, I think that this is a step that's been needed to be taken for a long time in athleticism. And I just think, unfortunately, we've said it's okay for too long that, um, that fear-based coaching is okay. Um, I think on top of that, that their uh, coaches need to ask themselves, am I um, driven by ego or am I driven by creating um, great athletes who are confident in people and um, you know am I motivating with fear or with um, you know positive reinforcement because the truth is any kid if you tell them you can do anything if you set your mind to it and if you can release some of the fear of failure and just saying I believe in you you are who I want in the box yeah. You see kids do things that they never thought that, that, that they were even capable of. So releasing them of that fear, you know? Yeah, I think, yeah, this is a huge, huge thing. And I think you're right as far as like for so long, it's just how it's been. And like, I think possibly you and I have both, I would guess, experienced that as athletes where that's how we were coached. And so there's a lot of coaches who are coaching now where that's all they know, really. Nobody's shown them anything different. So I love that you're doing that for your athletes and that there's actually an organization out there that's kind of showing coaches how to do it or even saying it's possible because I think a lot of people don't even think it. Like people look at you like you're crazy when you suggest that you could inspire pe the best in people this way versus, you know, trying to like beat them down from the outside in order to motivate them. So I love that you talked about this and I love that you're doing this for your athletes. Um, there was something that came to mind while you were speaking and I can't remember what it was. But um, as far as those negative effects, like you were talking about how some people will go on, they have great lives and other people will always feel like they have this internal thing going on because of the way that they were motivated or coached or mentored. And I'm wondering if you're seeing any of that in um, you know, your counterparts, like former athletes that are now living life, right? Not no longer competing, but they're in real life and they're trying to do their thing. Do you see possible effects from that? Like that now in the people that you know? I, I am, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk about some stuff that's maybe not appropriate for kids at this point, but, uh, you know, I do think it's important to know that, you know, I've had from, from some of the posts that I've written, I've had old teammates that have messaged me and said, you know, um, from, from me getting, allowing to be verbally abused and some of them physically abused by their coaches, they went on to have sexual abuse happen to them. Mm -hmm. um, and some people may say this is a little dramatic, but you know what, this is yeah. exactly what it, it can lead to. It can lead to um, our young girls thinking that they're not worth it and that they can't question what's happening and that it's okay. I think that's the biggest thing is 
as a parent, when you say it's okay for my child to be fear-based coached and verbally abused, meaning saying like, what are you stupid? You know, phrases of that sort, it's, it's programming them to believe that that's okay and appropriate for them to be taught that way. And so what, to me, what it can lead to, not always, but it can lead to um, being in relationships of that sort or being in a situation where they get even worse, which is verbally or sexually abused. And I think it's a huge issue. Um, and it's a big concern of mine. And it's not something that I'm willing to not speak about. Yeah. And, and that's a huge concern for me too, because I have five daughters and I've coached teenage athletes for almost two decades. And this is something that's really come on my radar recently. Um, I think people have just no idea. Like, I think they also feel like that's kind of an exaggeration, like just because, you know, this and that. But when I see these teenage athletes being spoken to in ways, and it's not always swearing or it's not always super, you know, but like, like you said, like, what are you stupid? Like just things like that, that are just, um, you wouldn't want your child being spoken to like that in different environments, maybe from teachers or from their significant other, but yet we allow coaches to do that to them. And yeah, like you said, it's like, it's accepted. It's, it's okay at this point in a lot of situations. And, um, I have seen it for myself. I have seen it play out like you said, down the road, or I've seen it in their relationships where if they make a mistake and they upset their boyfriend, their boyfriend's like reaming them and like talking to them in ways that you really wouldn't want your daughter spoken to, but they like, well, their coach does that to them or, you know, and so I think that we send that message that like, it's okay if you mess up and it's your fault because you made a mistake or you didn't listen to what I said, then I have the right to then scream and yell at you and berate you and you know and and then I see that play out in their relationships and stuff so it's a major thing and I and I've said to some people like this needs to change in youth sports and I don't know that anyone like I don't think that a lot of people ever even think about it so like the fact that you've even thought about it or you know that you've kind of helped make that correlation too um, and I said in one of the Facebook groups the other day and, and there are lots of guys that were offended because I had mentioned how like a girl had swung at a pitch and so her coach was like yelling at her because he had told her not to swing at this first pitch. And, um, and I just said like, I don't think that, she, well, she should have been yelled at for that much less, you know, between a male coach and a female athlete and people were really offended. But I'm like, that dynamic is different. Um, I think it, it is anyway. And I think that their impact, like male impact on female teenage athletes is huge. I think it's a it's a powerful position to be in, and um, I think they can make a massive impact, either positively or negatively. And I think that all of us, even female coaches, it's not only males that are doing. It's not only you know it's females to females, females to males, um, males to females. But I think we could all be a lot more mindful of, like you said, how we're choosing to lead our you know the athletes. And whether we coach boys or girls, whether we are men or, uh, men or women, uh, we're leading our children. And so I think that for me, because I have a bunch of kids, like that's a big deal, like how we choose to lead them. So I'm, I'm very thankful that um, someone like you with your background, your history and the level of play that you've been at is speaking on these things, talking about it and someone who is doing things differently, even if not a lot of people are. So thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. Have you found um, 
anyone like any parents or anything kind of push back against it or tell you, you need to do differently or tell you, you need to yell more or like that's happened? You know, what's funny is, um, I, you know, what I know of is that my parents are pretty happy with, um, you know, how I communicate with my girls. I think mm -hmm. the main thing is, is I have girls now coming in and, uh, you know, it's become more rewarding to me because they're coming to me and talking to me about being bullied. They're coming and talking to me about personal things that are going on in their life. And um, it's become more than just teaching them a skill. They trust me. Um, there's trust um, being built. And so they can have the conversations that maybe they, they can't have in other environments. And so um, I think the pushback that I, the only push main pushback that I see is that for some reason, fear-based coaching it works. We all know yeah. this. It yeah. does work. Yeah. Um, so it seems like um, those coaches, the teams are successful. Yeah. And I, unfortunately, I see that parents are willing to make excuses mm -hmm. for it um, in order to their child to stay on a team that um, is successful. And I don't blame them for it. I think it's something that you have to come into an understanding about. Um, I, you know, Five years ago, I probably would not have felt the same way I feel now. But uh, what I'm realizing, and there's, there's a difference between discipline and berating. There's a difference between building up and empowering and beating them down. And, and the truth is, is that we can coach them and empower them and make them feel good about themselves when we live in a world that is constantly telling us that we're not skinny enough, we're not smart enough, we're not fit enough, you know, all of those things. So sports is supposed to be an outlet to have fun and to for these girls to be able to express who they are. And when they're not even given that they're in a situation where there's more fear created, it's like, what, again, what type of kids are we creating? And, um, again, I, I, I think we're all human. And I think, unfortunately, we only know when we know. And mm -hmm. I just hope that um, in me speaking out and consistently posting on the subject that I will um, force some coaches to sort of evaluate and, and try to and try to start making some changes. It's, it's not about us being perfect, because, yeah. you know, we're human, but are you willing to look at the way that you're doing things and say, you know, maybe this isn't working. Maybe this is not how I want my daughter to look at what a relationship is like. Maybe it's okay. Maybe I want my girls to question their coaching. Maybe mm -hmm. I want them, you know, I try to empower my girls to, to stand up to their coaches, not yeah. just look at them as a dictator. And I can't, I have no say. It's yeah. okay to ask questions. And it's really okay when a coach yells at them to stop crying and being a baby for them to say, to look at their coach and say, I'm not okay with you saying that to me. Mm -hmm. So not only is it, is it important for us to teach our girls, and I'm speaking about girls, and, and I, I know boys are just important in all this, but I work with girls, so I tend to think for girls. I think yeah. it's important not only for us to um, teach them how they should be spoken to, but also teach them that it's okay for them to set boundaries. And it's yeah. okay for them to say, I'm not okay with speaking to me that way. And that's difficult when you're 10, 11 or 12 years old. But I think mm -hmm. if they constantly hear like, that's not okay. And it's okay for you to stand up for yourself and set a limit. That's not being disrespectful. Um, mm -hmm. I, and I think that's the next step is empowering our children to be able to stand up for who they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I think um, 
that as far as you know these young athletes go um i think a lot of them feel like they don't have a say and that's kind of scary when you're you know for for the girls like growing up that's not how we want them to feel and i don't know if people realize like i really believe that our children learn how to interact with others or like you said how relationships work through our interactions with them not so much how they see us interacting in our relationships but like how we interact with them becomes how they understand relationships and interacting with other people and um that i've never and like i've been a parent for 21 years and i've only realized this stuff recently and even coaching so like you said um i've like just like you i think in five years ago if you've asked me these same questions or talked about these same things that i would have a completely different viewpoint and i've definitely made that same choice like you were saying about having your kids coached by someone um, where they're getting results. And so you're like, well, I'm willing to sacrifice this or compromise on these things because I want these results. And so that's a real issue. Like that's a real thing that parents are going through and they want the best for their child. So they're trying to put them in the best situation with the most opportunity. And sometimes we're willing to, to sacrifice certain things. And I learned the hard way that like compromising on things that you really strongly believe in or feel that shouldn't be happening or whatnot, like compromising those things is never a good idea. <laughs> so um, it's easy for me to say now, you know, like there are certain things I won't compromise or if there's literally no other choice or you feel like there's no other choice or like, well, this is the only place my daughter can play or this is the only team that she can play with. Um, then I think it's important to have conversations about it and talk with them about like, look, they, we are here but just know that we don't think these things are okay. And if you ever feel X, Y, or Z, you know, like just have those open lines of communication. And I think it's awesome that you have built so much trust with your athletes that they're coming to you to talk about things that, like you said, maybe they can't speak about elsewhere. Um, so that's awesome. And I have found that that's kind of a side effect of not using fear-based methods of, you know, really being positive and uplifting um, even with my own children and they actually come and talk to me a lot more. So parents are always of teenagers, especially they're like, my kid never listens to me. Like, how do I get them to talk? And I have found at least for me that a lot of it has to do with what I'm doing, like how I'm showing up and how I'm treating them. So I think it's awesome that you have that going and that um, you you're able to build that trust. And I think that a lot of coaches are wondering how to do that and a lot of parents too. So I appreciate everything that you do. And I definitely look forward to staying in touch. Um, I'm sure there's lots of other things they could ask you, <laughs> but I promise to kind of keep this short and sweet. So thank you so much for being here. Is there anything else that you would like coaches or parents or even athletes to hear before you, before we wrap it up? Yeah. I mean, there's two, two things I just kind of wrote a note on. Um, one is as a coach, when we react like, Oh, in disappointment, we're basically telling our players we're disappointed in them. And in that moment, we're telling them you're not good enough. Mm -hmm. And right there in that moment that that tells them, I can't do this, right? Mm -hmm. So I find that when I'm, you know, when I'm throwing front toss to my girls and they don't hit a good swing, you know, they, they think in their mind, this wasn't a good swing. They'll, they'll make the sound like, oh, disappointment. And I'll say, good job. And they kind of like, look at me like, I don't quite understand why. And I say, you know why? Because you need to take 10,000 more swings before you can start critiquing yourself. And then when you get there, they take 10,000 more. And they've learned that from other coaches and from us as people. And I will say, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not um, 
you know, I'm guilty of this in the past as well, is anytime we show disappointment, they learn that from us. And the main, the one other word that I think is extremely important that, you know, in my process of not becoming an athlete and people asking me, how did you get there? And ultimately, really, when I think about it, I trusted myself. When I was in the box, and I was hitting, I trusted myself. And so for me, it was like, how do I create, create trust in my players? And so everybody will say, don't strike out. You can't strike out. And I say, that's not true because you're going to strike out no matter what, you know, what way you look at it, you're going to strike out. And so did you strike out trusting yourself or did you start strike out not trusting yourself? So my example is always, if you have two strikes and you think the pitch is a ball and you don't uh, you don't swing and you strike out, you struck out tr trusting yourself. That's a positive. That is a successful at that. But if you have two strikes in the back of your head, you're thinking, I just don't want to strike out. So you try to foul off a pitch that you think the umpire might call and you swing and miss and you strike out, you're not trusting yourself. So in, in, in an essence, you are not, um, you're not getting that much closer to a successful positive self-talk. So trust is the biggest thing. And how do we teach that is, is they have to ultimately rely on themselves. So yeah. how do we again, how do we teach that is, you know, you have to be able to feel what you're doing and you have to learn how to make your own adjustments outside of other people yeah. telling you what to do. So yeah. trust is a big word for me. I love that. I love that. And I think there's, what frustrates me a lot of times is when I see coaches just trying to make every decision. And I'm like, how are they going to learn? Like, how are they going to learn to do this for themselves? If we're the ones that are constantly like, do this, do this, do this, do this. And so I love when coaches are able to instill what you're talking about. And, um, and I think that I'm I, like, it's interesting because like, I know this, right? Like in my brain, like I've been in the past few years, like super, um, on this mission, especially with my own, my own children, because I'm not coaching right now, but they're like, obviously super important to me. So it's like, I'm super aware of like, my reactions are important and I still mess it up every single day. So, you know, like coaches, like this is not to um, like put you, you know, if you've done these things to put you down or anything like that, like, like you said, we're all human. And especially if we were trained in that way, it's going to be our knee jerk reaction but the more aware we are and the more consciously we can choose our reactions, um, the better it's going to be. But like, I, like, this is a huge thing for me and I still mess it up. So, <laughs> so just to encourage other people. Yeah. Like just keep trying, like, just keep going just because you don't, you know, get it right. And it's okay to apologize too, you know, like, be like I shouldn't have done that. And so, and I, and I always find it interesting how um, I, I just feel like if we really had full confidence in our children or in our athletes and in ourselves to lead them, we wouldn't even feel like reacting that way. We wouldn't be worried or upset or frustrated over one mistake. We would know that it's just a part of their journey. It's just one step and they're going to get better because of it. So I try to keep that in mind a lot, especially with my own kids, because it's like every day there's something, right? So um, I just love everything that you've shared today. So I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being here. And um, We'll probably, well, definitely keep in touch. So thank you so much. Anything else you want to say? That's it. Thanks so much good? for having me on. Appreciate it. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you. Wow. What a great interview with Jenny Topping. She is so spot on with so many of these issues. And we only had a short period of time, so we couldn't really dig into, um, you know, each area. 
But one thing I wanted to add, and I wanted to be mindful of the time, so I, you know, I didn't get to add it in when we were on uh, Zoom together. But one thing I wanted to add was that even when the long-term effects of fear-based tactics and fear-based coaching don't extend into possible, um, you know, verbal abuse or abuse in relationships, right, physical or sexual. The th- the thing about it is that if it becomes an athlete's internal workings to continuously use those kinds of tactics even on themselves or to treat every mistake as something to, we have to make you feel bad about it so you can learn, right? We want to make this mistake hurt and we want you to feel horrible so that you never do it again. If that's the kind of approach and strategy that an athlete learns in in dealing with mistakes and that becomes how they speak to themselves and how they talk to themselves and how they deal with the mistakes that they make in life, I don't know about you, but I make mistakes every single day, multiple times a day. And I have found that even I have to learn to move away from continuously just getting on myself for every little thing and be hard, being hard on myself for every little thing and beating myself up, you know, and what's wrong with you and why can't you get this right and why don't you, you know, how many times do you have to make this mistake and when are you going to learn and all these kinds of things. It just slows down the progress and it's difficult if that's the kind of self-talk that you learn Right. If that's how you learn to deal with every little mistake, because everyone in school, at home, on the field has this approach of getting on you, getting on you. Every time you make a mistake, we have to nip it in the bud. We have to make sure you learn. We have to make sure you feel bad so that you never do this again. If that's what you learn as far as how to deal with your mistakes, it becomes very difficult when you're doing this to yourself multiple times a day to feel confident, to feel capable um, to move forward from these mistakes, right? It get it becomes very easy to get stuck in like just the difficulty of it or why should I even try or I don't know if I can do this or I just really suck at learning this stuff or there, it just becomes this negative spiral very, very quickly. And so I think it's very important that we take a good hard look at how are we responding to mistakes and how can we do better and what are the long-term effects of these things and are there ways that we can still guide and still help our kids learn and still get the pertinent information across without all the negativity and the shaming and the guilt tripping and the embarrassment or the the be you know quote-unquote that's beat beat beating yourself up about it um type of stuff tangled up and attached to all of it so that's at the very least right at the very least these are things to consider as far as what are the long-term effects of how we respond to and interact with our children our team athletes that we know players that we know even other human beings in general even in workplaces in workplace environments as a boss we're impacting these people that we are working with day in and day out, we're impacting them long term. And is that impact going to be positive over the long term? 
Or is it going to be negative because we wanted short-term gain? We wanted the gain this week, this month, this year, right? During this season of life. And so that's why this is so important to me. Not just because I truly do believe it does extend into relationships. And I have seen it play out in athletes, you know, as teenagers and even beyond that. In their relationships with others, in their self-confidence, in, you know, how they stand or allow themselves to be treated. And also, not just that, because sometimes, yes, for a short period of time, we're like, okay, look, this is not the best situation. This person is my boss or what have you for the time being. And, you know, I understand that it's not perfect, but I need this job. And so we're going to do this work. And I'm, I know how to let it go when someone has a bad day or is upset about something and they don't exactly know how to communicate it in positive ways, right? And they're just really difficult people. And, um, you know, that's one thing. But also just understanding understanding how we're, uh, how we're thinking of it and how we're internalizing it, if at all, right? It's not just so much that you know, being around someone who's negative or being around somebody who doesn't handle mistakes very well and then they tend to be loud and obnoxious about it or yell and scream and swear, whatever. You know, it's one thing to be in that situation and know how to let it go and know that that doesn't define you. And it's another thing to be in that situation and start internalizing that and start feeling bad about yourself because of how this person is reacting. So you know, there's that level of it too. And now is there an opportunity for us to help our children learn to process it in a healthy way? Yes. However, not all of them are ready for that at 12, 13, 14, 17, 18 even, or not all of them are built that way. Some people are very sensitive to other people others other kids just you know it really doesn't get to them at all it just bounces right off so knowing your own child what they're ready for and what they can handle is important I don't think that there's any need to rush that process of like well I'm going to just throw them into the fire so they learn faster there are certain things that that's just not the best approach at and with things like this like the cost can be so high the cost of having your child around the negative influence day in and day out while they're not yet super effective or knowledgeable on how to deal with it can be a big cost long term. So it's up to us as the adults to be very mindful of that. And yes, we can work with them through it. Yes, we can talk to them about how to process it in healthy ways. But if it's not working, if that's not happening and you just see them getting lower and lower as far as self-esteem and how they're talking to themselves and how they're looking at their mistakes and how they're beating themselves up all the time and they're not able to turn it around, then it might not be a situation that they're ready for or might not be a situation that they ever need to be in. Maybe they have to always just be surrounded by people who are have a healthier way of interacting and who are more positive-minded. There are people like that in the world, and it is possible to surround yourself with good people. Will you come across others from time to time? Yes, but those that you're working with day in and day out, like an athlete is with a coach, like a you know student is with a teacher, um, like our kids are with us, right? 
those kinds of people who are in their life day in and day out for hours upon hours a, a day, I think it's very important to be mindful of who we bring in so that when they get older too, they learn to be more mindful of who they let into their inner circle, right? That these people that we allow into their inner circle, that we allow to be that close and to have that big a part of their life, that we're very mindful about that so that when they become adults, they can learn to be mindful of that same thing. Because one thing I keep hearing over and over and over again from a lot of people and advice, advice given to you know, high-level performers, advice given to adults who are looking to improve their lives, improve their business, improve their health, improve their relationships, improve whatever it is, they talk about that very thing, about being mindful of who you surround yourself with, about taking a good hard look around you and seeing that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with or whatever that, you know, quote is. And realizing that not all of us, even as adults, are super intentional about that some of us have learned to become that because you know through circumstance and situations and others are just sort of like it's by default right and if we're not showing our children as they grow up that we are very intentional about who we surround them with they may not learn that lesson until much later by necessity or because circumstance forced them to take that good hard look and go look there are some people that I need to step further away from and I need to bring different people into my inner circle or I need to be more mindful of who I let this close to me so on and so forth right and we have to be more selective of the type of person that we allow into the inner parts of our life so anyway that's a lot to add to this interview and it was such an amazing interview and the whole time I was talking to Jenny I was like wow it's no wonder that I felt compelled to reach out to her and get this interview together, even though we had missed each other one time previously. I'm super excited and glad that we got to hook up and do this for you and put this out for you today. So I hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought. And again, you can reach Jenny. We didn't really get to talk about this, but JennyTopping.com, J-E-N-N-Y, Topping, T-O-P-P-I-N-G. And she's also on Facebook at Gold Medal Training, Gold Medal Training on Facebook. So look her up and connect with her if anything in this interview spoke to you uh, if there's anything that really stood out or if you feel like wow she really gets it please feel free to find her on the internet jennytopping.com or on facebook gold medal training all right thank you so much for listening i appreciate your time i appreciate you being here and i'll be back soon